A common greeting in the first century church was you'd walk down the street and you would say, He is risen. And the other party across the other side of the street would go, He is risen indeed. So, so let's try it. Let's try it. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Uh, you can do louder than that. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Amen. Hallelujah. Give the Lord a hand this morning. John chapter 20, verse 1 and 2, and then we're going to skip down to verse 11. Early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. She ran and found Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. She said, they have taken the Lord's body out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. Mary was standing outside the tomb crying, and she wept. She stooped and looked in. She saw the two robed angels, one sitting at the head and the other at the foot, the place where the body of Jesus had been laying. Dear woman, why are you crying? The angel asked her. Because they have taken away my Lord, she replied. And I don't know where they have put him. She turned to leave and saw someone standing there. It was Jesus, but she didn't recognize him. Jesus asked her, Dear woman, why are you crying? Jesus asked her, who are you looking for? She thought he was the gardener. Sir, she said, if you have taken him away, tell me where you have put him and I will go and get him. Mary, Jesus said. She turned to him and cried, Rabboni, which is Hebrew for teacher, don't cling to me, Jesus said, for I haven't yet ascended to the Father, but I go to my brothers and tell them that I'm ascending to my Father and your Father. To my God and your God, Mary Magdalene found the disciples and told them, I have seen the Lord. Then she gave them this message. I think we really want to believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I also think we want to know how to translate what Christ did in rising to really positive life change for the people that we care about. And I want to talk to you today about how to realize the power of the resurrection for your own life and for others, from the story of Mary Magdalene, how to realize the power of what Christ did on the cross, in the grave, and between the grave and his ascension. Mary Magdalene, let's talk about her today. What an what a awesome character. She was an outlier if there ever is one, an underdog if there ever was one. She was a woman in the first century, so that meant her standing in the world was less than it should have been. Also, there's no familial or father connection mentioned when she is introduced. And that was a real bad sign. When you were introduced in the Bible, and it didn't say you were the daughter of so-and-so. You were from the family of. It only mentioned the town she was from. She was from Magdala. It's not true that she was definitely a prostitute. That's what people believe, but the Bible doesn't say that anywhere, that she was a prostitute. But she was problematic. She had problems. She had seven demons cast out of her when she crossed paths with Jesus. Yet she became the MVP of the Easter story. She was the first one to see the risen Lord, the first one to have the understanding of the resurrection opened up to her. And I don't think we really truly appreciate that, that nobody really understood what the resurrection was about. They, was, they didn't even believe it. That's why I don't believe the Christian religion is made up. 
That's why I don't believe the story of the resurrection is made up because nobody who made it up would write a story where some of the people who even saw the risen Lord didn't believe he was the risen Lord even though they had been his disciples. You wouldn't make up a story like that. Look at Mary, though. I call her the MVP of the Easter story. She was the first one to have the understanding of the resurrection opened up to her because they didn't understand it. She was the first one to preach the good news. We call this today love rising because of how Christ's deep love was manifest in the story. It also is manifest in how Mary, uh, uh, Mary's love didn't stop for Jesus because love never fails. Love triumphs over hate every time. Love, amen? Love triumphs over murder and mayhem and chaos every single time. One of the greatest examples of love rising in the Western civilization especially is how we rehab and renew things. We're, we're driven to resurrect everything in sight. Old buildings, old cars, blighted neighborhoods. I believe it's a spark of the divine. I believe it's a spark of the divine within us that wants to make ugly things beautiful, that wants to restore ugly things or, or, or broken things and unuseful things to their former purpose. I believe it's something within us of God that wants to take something that's old and broken down and expend our resources to make it match the beauty of the Creator Himself. Note with me a few photographs of a downtown dilapidated building on the left in the same building on the right, after somebody loved it, after love arose. I want you to notice an old dilapidated farmhouse, and I wanted to look at this one because I, I, I don't have one, but I love farmer's porches, and I would love to build a house someday with a great big old farmer's porch as a place to sit out and have my coffee in the morning on a nice day. And so I loved this old house before, and before it was loved and after it was loved. It would have been a lot more efficient to tear that thing down, I will guarantee you. I guarantee you it cost a lot more money and a lot. somebody cared. Somebody had a passion. Somebody had a vision. Or they would have just torn it down and built a new one. And notice our own Forum Church in BCC Downtown Ministry Center before and after love arose. The lovers in this case were, amen. It was the BCC, the lovers were the BCC staff some of that you saw on the stage here today, they worked their tails off, skilled carpenters from this congregation, skilled painters from this congregation, laborers, and of course, all of you wonderful financial givers. It took love to do it. And I want you to notice an even more important picture is a heroin addict before and after love arose. Look at the difference. Somebody loved her. Somebody cared about her. She didn't get from... That, one, that picture on the left to that picture on the right all by her little lonesome. That didn't happen, man. A very, very well-known clinical psychologist uh, who doesn't claim to be a Christian, I heard him say the other day, the best cure for alcoholism is religious conversion. Amazing. There's no substitute for God's love. And there's no substitute for God's inspired love to rise to the occasion of our brokenness and our chaos. But there's a different way that we would do it. There, there's a, if I were God movement, here's what would happen. If we were God, uh, if, if we were, here's what we would do. Here's what would be most efficient. 
Here's the most efficient way to deal with ugliness and brokenness and, and, and the underdogs of life. And here's the most efficient way to deal with things that aren't working well. The most efficient way is to blow it up and start over again. Now, we're not, we're not nihilist. This is a picture of nihilism. And there's a lot of nihilism going in our culture today, which says we need to blow everything up, blow all our structures up. And we're not that way just because we're unkind and we're mean. We are nihilist and we're destructionist because we're powerless and hopeless. That's why we blow things up, because we don't understand there's a supernatural power that can take a building and make it beautiful, take a life and make it beautiful, and it's a lot easier to abandon people. It's a lot easier to give up on people. It's a lot easier to go and start a new relationship. It's a lot easier to blow up a church. It's a lot easier to blow up a career. It's a lot easier to destroy things than it is to build them. It takes passion and love to build things up. To have God's love rise and crush the adversaries of joy, peace, and purpose, you have to do three things. And these three things are not optional. I told you in the beginning, I want to tell you today how to access the power and beauty and efficiency, or not, not efficiency, but, but, but the... the uh, 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 motivation, uh, the, the change that can come about with the power of the resurrection. I, I, I want you to believe with me and know with me that Jesus released something when he got up from the, when he came off that cross and when he went to the grave and when he went to the hell and took away from Satan the keys of death, hell, and the grave. He released a power in the world. He released a power in the world. He established a kingdom in the world that you can enter into where there's beauty and there's hope and there's peace and there's joy. And here it is. For love to rise, you must face the undesirable. Face it. Face it. Everybody ever tell you to face it in your life? Hey, you just got to face it. There's never a positive statement after the words face it. Nobody, nobody goes, face it, you are awesome. Well, well, maybe joking around, they will. You know, somebody, now that I said that, you will do that. But, but that's not naturally what comes up. Face it, face it, I love you, face it. Well, yeah, maybe those things, go, but usually face it means face it. You're blank. Face it, you're, you're, you're a loser. Face it. This relationship is over. Face it. I don't love you. Face it. Face it is almost always followed by something that's not a positive declaration. We don't like to face it. We don't like to face the dark stuff. We don't like to face the ugly stuff. But what made Mary, the reason Mary Magdalene became the MVP of the Easter story, because this woman had a quality. She had a quality that few people have. She was always willing to face, as far as we can tell, we don't know the details of her life, but the little bit that we know, we know she's someone who kept facing up to whatever was in front of her. No matter how dark and negative it was, she was someone who came face to face with her, literally her demons. She faced her demons. 
Now, we don't know how those demons were manifest. There were seven that lived in her, and I'm sure there's some insight into that that we could, we could uh, explore. The number seven, what that means. I don't, I don't know, but we don't know the manifestation. It could have been a men- mental illness. And, and don't, don't send me an email that, that I said all mental illness is demonic possession. I didn't say that. Um, there's many reasons for people are mentally ill. But it's one manifestation of demonic powers is mental illness. It could have been, uh, it could have been uh, promiscuity. Could have been acting out sexually. It certainly could have been. It could have been narcissism. She, she might have been the most narcissistic, pathological person you ever met. You, you, she might have been somebody you just couldn't stand to be around because she was so self-absorbed and she had no ability to feel anybody else's feelings but her own. She, she was. She might have been a person who was not fun to be around. You didn't really. It was like. Watch out for Mary. She's going to cause trouble. She's looking for trouble. Watch out for her. Uh, she might have been a, a pathological liar. She, she might have been a kleptomaniac, someone who would steal everything in sight. You couldn't, you, you had to, when she came in to, to visit your visit, sleep over, you had to lock all the doors because she would, things would be missing the next day because Mary was there. She might have been, she in some way might have been a very disturbed person. Manifestation, her manifestation of her demons could have been physical illness as well. We know that throughout the scripture. And I'm going to tell you something, demons are real. Demons are real. Every time I doubt that God is real, I, re- I rediscover that de- demons are real. So then I go back to believing what God has to be real. All right. <laughs> Mary faced this, though. She faced her demons. Mary, how many Jesus helped her face them? And I think he's the guy who said, face it. Face it, Mary, you're full of the devil. <laughs> right? I, I think he said that to her one day. Face it, you're, you're full of demons. And, and somebody who loves you will do that for you. Somebody who loves you will, will say, you've got to face the dark thing in your life. She, she faced the cultural limitation of her gender. She really did. And I love Luke chapter eight, where you know here, here here's a here's a here's a uh, religious culture, of course, that um, uh, men were the leaders at the synagogue, and they were the spiritual leaders uh, in that day. They were the priests, and uh, there there were uh, several prominent women throughout the Bible. So it wasn't like God forbade women to to be uh, have public ministry. That wasn't that's not the case at all. Uh, but we know that uh, women were treated as property in many cases in the culture that she lived in. And uh, they, were not, uh, they weren't selecting women to be rabbis, okay? And uh, see, Jesus was a rabbi, and his uh, 12 disciples were rabbis in training. Now, now some people would go, uh, uh, you know, uh, I'm not going to even show up there. They don't respect women. They don't respect women, and they don't, they don't respect the place that women have. They don't know how powerful we are. I'm women, hear me roar, and I'm not even going to show up. I'm going to go start my own thing. But not Mary. I love this about her. She showed up. She just showed up and walked around with the men. And just, you know, here's the woman who had seven demons. And she was like, I'm here, guys. I'm here. Accept me. You better accept me because I'm here. 
I'm going to be a part of this because I like, I want to be a part of this. Man, that's a lesson. And that's a lesson in how to go forward, isn't it? That's a lesson. The culture needs to relearn that lesson today. She didn't, she didn't show up with a placard. She, she, didn't, she didn't show up wearing a funny hat, man. She just showed up. She just showed up with grace, I think. From whatever I think I can see, she just showed up with grace, and she showed up with her wallet open. Let me read it to you. Soon afterward, Jesus began a tour of the early times. She, she, was, she was successful. She wasn't, you know, she, 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 her life had been turned around. Her career had taken off, evidently, because it says, Soon after Jesus began a tour of the nearby towns and villages, preaching and announcing the good news about the kingdom of God, he took his 12 disciples with him, along with some women he had healed and from whom he had cast out evil spirits. <laughs> I believe we, we need, that, that needs a sermon, man. <laughs> that, that needs more than just a passing glance, but I don't have time this morning. That just hit me. I looked at, whoa, he, he, he's t- taking all these formerly demonized women, and <laughs> Jesus is inviting them to come along with all the guys. It's awesome. Among them were Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons, Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's business manager, Susanna, and many others who were contributing their own resources to support Jesus and his disciples. It's kind of like they, they were kind of like the board of directors. You know, I got friends who do the board of directors thing in their organizations, and they never put the poor guys and gals on the board. <laughs> it's, just, it's just interesting how they, they always look for the deep pockets to put on the board. Uh, you know, and, and that's, they were very successful. I know some guys raised uh, hundreds and thousands of dollars from their board members because the first thing they're going to say in the first meeting is you got to have skin in the game if you're going to be on this board. And <laughs> so that's what they do. So I think, kind of, I think that's kind of who Mary and all these women were. So she, but she faced that. F- facing it is, is, is just being cool. Right? Mary also faced, now this is, this is a powerful point. She faced the broken and dead body of her Savior. This is huge. Matthew 27, 59, Jesus took the body, Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a long sheet of clean linen cloth. He placed it in his own new tomb, which had been carved out of the rock. Then he rolled a great stone across the entrance and left. Both Mary and Magdalene and the other Mary were sitting across from the tomb and watching them. Now, John didn't tell us that, but Matthew says that Mary was watching as they wrapped Jesus' body. (laughs) And, And I just can't help but believe uh, having some wonderful women in my own life that they said, they're not doing that right. Those guys aren't doing that right. <laughs> we got to come back and, and do that properly. <laughs> I just, don't you ladies, don't, don't you think that's what happened? <laughs> that's just, they're just doing that. You know, they're just not doing it right. But if you fast forward to Matthew, Mark 16, 1, and pay attention to the first sentence. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of Jesus in Salome, bought spices so they might go anoint Jesus' body. They got to go do this right. Now, here, this is big. I think this, to me, this is huge. I hope it is huge, because it is to me. Mary was willing to see and touch and care for Christ's broken body. That's more than just an interesting thought. That's a huge principle of progress. When we're able to go to the most difficult part of our lives and touch it 
talk about it and think about it and pray about it. Some of you here today, and I mean this with all the love of my heart, you've not been willing to go touch and deal with the deepest and darkest and most difficult part of your life. The part of your life that's a part of your deadness, part of the deadness of your sin. You want to just not talk about it. Let's not talk about it. You got to talk about it. You got to deal with it. That's how new life comes about. When you're willing to go deal with it. When you're willing to face it. Isaiah 52, 14. Just, I, just, I want to read Isaiah 52, 14. Because I want you to see um, how powerful this is and, and what she was looking at. It says, it's about Jesus. Just as there were many who were appalled at him. This is a prophetic verse. His appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any man, his form, his form marred beyond human likeness. That's what she was looking at. That's what she was like. She was willing to go to the deepest and darkest thing. I, I heard someone say the other day, teaching about archetypes and, and, and stories that teach us how to be, that King Richard's Knights of the Round Table were all got up from the table and went to the darkest part of the forest. That what they saw, and they all perceived it differently. And that's that's that, that's very that's a teaching moment. That we all have a different dark place that we need to go to. They all went to the darkest part of the forest. And so we have this marvelous story and the story of King Richard and the success that happened because these knights of the round table were willing to go to the darkest place. Face the undesirable. Face the brokenness. Face the dysfunction in your life. Face the dysfunction around you. Don't be afraid of it. It's scary. It's scary. It's gross. But don't be afraid of it. There's hope. There's hope when you're willing to do it. Oh, we, we, we got a second service, so I got to move on. For love to rise, you must embrace the unimaginable. John 20, 14, Mary turned to leave and saw someone standing there and it was Jesus, but she didn't recognize him. Embracing the unimaginable means going forward with whatever amount of faith you have and letting God surprise you. It, it takes faith in the unimaginable to go to the darkest places in your lives with the intention of redeeming whatever you can. This is huge. What Everything about this day in Mary's life was unimaginable. She was stepped because she was willing to step into the undesirable. God brought her into the unimaginable. That a woman would be the first bearer of the good news was unimaginable. That Christ would show up to meet her first is unimaginable. I, I think about this, I think, you know, it, it, if I, I could have written the story, Jesus would have showed up like in Herod's office. I'm back. Or Pilate's office. Our Pilate, I, I think he just showed up in Pilate in his wife's bedroom. Because remember, she said, don't do it. I think he should have shown up. Hey, guys, I'm back. That would have been awesome, wouldn't it? But no, God never does what I want him, or what I imagine he would do, you know, what I want him to do either. God says, you know, go sit down, Phil. Let me show you what I'm going to do. He shows up this formerly demon-possessed woman. Wow. 
The, the empty tomb was unimaginable. The risen Christ was unimaginable. That a formerly demon-inhabited woman was the first to know Christ and to know his purpose on earth. You know, I, I know that today you, you would, some people would like for me to talk about a lot more about the female gender thing. And I do believe that's a noble thing to talk about, giving dignity to the female gender. I believe it's an important conversation to have. But I don't believe that's the main point of Jesus Christ that he was trying to make. That is not the main thing. It wasn't a, a social reengineering political thing that Jesus was trying to do. He wasn't trying to do that. And I could prove that if I had time. God is trying. Listen, this, listen carefully to this. God was trying to show us, as he did throughout the scripture, that no one is out of the reach of his love. That no one, no matter their social standing, no matter their personality disorders, no matter they're not out of reach of his love, grace, and power, no one, no one, no personality type, no social class, no one so insignificant that they can't be the most significant person in the plan of God. I see the kingdom of God unfolding. That is, God keeps obsessively showing us that you don't call anybody hopeless or outside of God's power to elevate them. It was Jacob over Esau. It was Ephraim over Manasseh. It was Joseph over his much older brothers. It was shepherd boy David over his siblings. It was the lowly disciples over the well-positioned temple leaders. God saying, I will... I'm God and nobody, and I mean nobody, is stuck when I want them to be unstuck. Hallelujah. Welcome to the wonderful world of the unimaginable. That is a world where people rise from the dead and where love rises to make them glad to be alive. Thirdly, for love to rise, you must experience the impossible. Now, this is really uh, if you've been thinking about the ham that's in the oven and uh, how you're going to organize the Easter egg hunt for the kids and grandkids, check in with me now, okay? Because you don't miss this point. John 20, 15, let's look at it again. Why are you crying, Jesus asked her. Who are you looking for, she thought. He was a gardener. Sir, she said, if you have taken him away, tell me where you have put him and I will go and get him. Mary, Jesus said, you, Mary, she's, sorry, I I muffed that because that's such a wonderful dramatic point. We need a guy with an English accent to read this. (laughs) And I can't even mimic one. Mary, Jesus said, she turned to him and cried out Rabboni, which is Hebrew for teacher. Now there's great insight in that because she did not, still didn't understand who, all who he was. He was, he was a counselor teacher guy. But Jesus said, don't, Cling to me, for I haven't yet ascended to my father, but I go find my but go find my brothers and tell them, boy, this is oh man, this is powerful stuff, guys. Are you getting this? Go tell my brothers, not my disciples, my brothers. Do you can you absorb that today? Go tell my brothers and tell them I'm ascending to my father and your father to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene found the disciples and told them, I have seen the Lord, and she gave them this message. Now, here's what I want you to hear today, please. Mary had done everything humanly possible to be in a position to see the Lord. Everything humanly possible. And don't discount human effort. Human effort is necessary. Work is working to get to God is necessary. 
So don't discount it. She admitted she had submitted to Christ regarding her dysfunctionality. Mary had unashamedly identified with Christ during his earthly ministry. She had shown up at the cross to witness his gruesome death. She didn't want to miss a moment. She showed up to more properly embalm the body. She cried and she showed deep grief over the execution of Jesus. Mary even stood in the presence of the risen Christ. She even went to church. But she still didn't know who Jesus was. All her effort didn't cause her to know Jesus. All of her toil, all of her great character, even her physical vision, even her physical looking didn't cause her to realize a personal savior. It took an act of Jesus. An act of pursuing grace for her to experience the reality and the presence of the risen Lord and to realize love rising. Mary, Jesus said. Mary. And verse 17 might just be the most significant verse in the Bible between Genesis and John. It says, I haven't yet ascended to my father, but I go to my brothers and tell them that I'm ascending to my father and your father and to my God and your God. Now this revelation was an act of Jesus. Now I don't know if, if, if I communicated well enough just now, but what I meant to communicate was that no matter how hard you work, no matter how good you are, no matter how much you do, and you need to do those things. That's another sermon and another idea about working and striving and trying and being the best person you can be. We don't want to throw that out, but it will not make you a Christian. Only Jesus can make you a Christian. Only an act of God can cause you to know who Jesus is. Only an act of grace can open up your understanding. Only an act of grace can open up your understanding. And I understand that in modern, the modern society that began a long time ago, under modernity, as people who are educated like to say, we have relegated everything to the realm of reason. But I want you to know the realm of the spirit comes before the realm of reason. And the realm of the spirit is more real than the realm of reason. And the realm of the spirit is real. Don't you mistake it. The realm of the spirit is real. What you're hearing, and you, some of you are hearing in your heart right now. Some of you are hearing, the, some of you are hearing Bill or Joe or Michelle or Rebecca. You're hearing that right now. It's Jesus. It's Jesus calling you. It's Jesus telling you he wants you. Now, now back, back to that verse in 17. Here, here's what I want you to hear. God the Father. He, he, notice he says, you're my Father and your Father. Now, here's what we don't understand often. That the Father God had been elusive up to this point. If you examine all those Old Testament texts where God showed up, it's almost always obvious it wasn't God the Father, but it was Jesus. It was the Son of God, the burning bush. The voice of the burning bush said, I am. 
That sounds like the guy who got arrested in the garden and said to the Roman soldiers, I am, and they all fell down. I think that was the same guy, right? And when Nebuchadnezzar looked into a fiery furnace and he put three men in there and he looked back again, I said, I see the fourth man in there and he looks like the son of God. Whew. It was Jesus that was showed up. And I could show you a dozen other examples like that. There's no question about it. Father God was not accessible to the human race. That's why the scripture said no man has seen God and lived. God the Father. God in the Old Testament was a consuming fire. And in spite of his great love, in spite of his great love, God wasn't angry. That, that, that's a bad theology. God was not angry with us. But God was too holy for us. God was unapproachable. The Bible says he was an unapproachable light. The Bible says that God was a consuming fire. We could not stand the holiness of God. And the devil, the adversary, planned it that way. He planned to sully us with sin, fill us with rebellion, corrupt our lives so that we could not stand in the presence of the Father. So Jesus said, listen to what Jesus said, don't hold on to me. I have to ascend to my God and your God, my Father and your Father. I could give you a dozen verses that prove that Jesus was saying, this is the day the kingdom of God is coming to earth. And this is the day that the accuser of the brethren, Satan, and his shaming mouth are going to be shut up. And the sin that would keep you from approaching the Father is going to be eradicated. John 12, 30, then Jesus told him, and I want you to hear this, man, get this in your soul. He said, the time for judging this world has come. Now, evangelical Christians, we've put that at the end of the book of Revelation. We've put that after the second coming of Jesus. But Jesus did not put the judgment of the world at the end of the book of Revelation. And after the second coming, Jesus put the judgment of the world at the cross Hallelujah. Jesus put the judgment of the world when he went into hell and took from Satan the keys of death, hell, and the grave. He put the judgment of the world when he went into the very throne room of God and offered his own blood on the mercy seat. And I know that's some big theological ideas that, that we don't have time to explain this morning, but get back, call me and I'll explain it to you what this means. That Jesus went into the holiest of holies and he sprinkled his own blood in the mercy seat and the devil had to shut up. Hallelujah. Colossians 2.14 says he canceled. Well, I got to read the rest of John. That's, I, I'm sorry. The time for judging this world has come when Satan, the ruler of this world, will be cast out. Do you get that? I mean, if you were any were close to being a Pentecostal, you'd be like jumping over the seats right now. I mean, he said the judgment of the, the, the Satan, the ruler of this world, will be cast out. When I go to the cross, I'm going to cast him out of the presence of God. Ooh, I'm going to cast him out of the throne room. That's why the Bible says in Hebrews that we can go into the throne room to find grace to help in time of need. You couldn't go in there before. You couldn't go in there before. But you can go now. Amen? Hallelujah. And when I am lifted up from the earth on the cross, I will draw everyone to myself. He said this to indicate not how he was going to come back in the second coming, but how he was going to die. 
Colossians 2.14, he canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, it says, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. Somebody give the Lord a hand this morning. Now, some of you are hearing your name called today. And if you will open your eyes, you will realize what that means. As I said earlier, modern people have been taught to elevate reason above consciousness. But that's not how we're designed. We're wired to respond to the inner voice of conscious before we move into the realm of the physical. The scientific researcher who discovers the cure for a form of cancer gets an idea first, a hunch, a leading in his spirit before he puts anything under a microscope or before he sets up an experiment or a control group. We are led by the Spirit. That is a, that's not just a Christian thing, that's a human thing. We are led by the inner voice. Amen? Don't underestimate the validity of your inner voice this morning. More of your life has been shaped by following your thoughts, ideas, and intuitions than by science, for good and bad. God and Satan talk on the same channel. <laughs> but Jesus right now is talking to you. He's saying your name. Some of you need to renew your love relationship with the Father with an act of confession this morning. And some of you need to realize your relationship with the Father through an act of confession. And I'm going to ask you, in a, in a, in after, the, after we sing another song, I'm going to ask you to do something this morning. I'm going to ask you to take a physical action that will confirm your decision. I'm going to ask you, if you need to renew your relationship with the Father, or you need to realize your relationship with the Father. I think there's some that I'm talking to that need to go to the dark place. And you heard that. God spoke to you this morning. And so I'm going to invite you to come up. And we want to say a blessing the resurrection over you. And we want to lead you in prayer. I want you to leave here today knowing who Jesus is. And knowing you're the center of his past actions and future Right now, I want you to think about the voice that is speaking in your ear, telling you, calling your name. And if you feel like the Lord is calling your name to renew or to realize your relationship with the Father, some of you need to come back. You've drifted away from faith, and you need to come back to faith. I want to say a 30-second prayer. When I'm done praying, don't hesitate. Just Get out here and come. And you're not going to be alone. Prayer partners are going to come with you and pray with you. We're going to have a sh sh brief prayer, let you go home, and let you have your Easter day in celebration. Father, in Jesus' name, thank you for giving us the gift of Jesus. Thank you for being willing to do a hard thing, and that is to watch your son suffer. So in his suffering, and in his brokenness, we could relate to his sin and brokenness. And we could be, we could be transformed. <laughs> Bring us into that transformation today in the name of the Lord Jesus. Come, come on. Come on down front.
our small group leaders, prayer partners, I need you here. Some of you staff members might want to come. power of the resurrection and knowing that you have the power of love I yield to that love may I know you as my Savior may I know you as my Lord and may I know your father as my father and I will never be fatherless again in the name of Jesus Amen. Give the Lord praise. Give the Lord praise. Now, if you've prayed this prayer, we would love to be able to follow up. That's entirely up to you. If you prefer to keep this private, that's fine too. That's, that's acceptable. But we'd like to be able to follow up. We have a, a decision card, and I've got uh, prayer partners here that know where they are. And just raise your hand right now if you'd like a decision card. And by doing that, you're saying, I'd, I'd like for someone, I'd like for the church to pray for the pastor to pray for me. I'd like for you to follow up. Just ra- There's some hands being raised. Please get a decision card. If you would uh, fill that card out and then give it back to one of these uh, workers or give it to an usher on the way out, either way. Don't forget to give it back to us. If nothing else, just lay it on this table here. And if you can't find anybody to give it to. And uh, congratulations on coming to the presence of God. You have been received. (laughs) You've been received. Amen. Sing us a song, guys. Take us out. God bless you. Happy Easter. Celebrate.